Welcome to Loving the Christ Life. I'm Brad Wilson, and here we go for another Loving the Christ Life podcast. We are into the foundational studies with Warren Litzman, the foundational studies of the In Christ, Christ Life message, and boy, they have been wonderful. This week, we're starting part one of the studies of the deep root of the law. This is really something I've been looking forward to, and I hope you are too. It's really going to be very informative. And I say, without further ado, let's get right into it. Here's Warren. There's a thing that has been uh, robbing us of our relationship with the Lord for, I guess, a long time. And it's a thing we don't really know is in existence. We give it a blanket term called law, the law. And the law is something we don't really understand today, I think, in Christianity. I think we're really going to have to go back to what Paul has to say and take him word for word and letter for letter to understand what it is that is in the law. I think we're going to have to have the spirit of Christ to translate that because Paul did. Uh, I'm not even sure we can accept the translators, even the King James Version of the Bible, as being a final word on what was the real problem with the law. Uh, I'm going to talk to you about a thing I call the deep root of the law. How deep is the root of the law? How deeply ingrained is it in us? For instance, you ever heard a preacher say on radio or television, folks, if you don't send your money in, this program will not be able to continue. Now, isn't that a very common statement? You ever give it any thought? Did you, did you ever think about what was behind that statement? There are two very grievous errors in that statement. The first is, Whenever we say that something is not going to take place unless we do something, we have instituted law. You see, we don't even think that way, do we? Because our whole life revolves around that. We are certain that we've got to do certain things to make it work. But when we say that doing these things is necessary to being or to having or to getting, then it's law. See. That's the first grievous error. And the law is so deep in us, we've heard that hundreds of times and out of guilt did something. Well, I don't want that to go off. I don't want to fail God. Maybe the Spirit's talking to me to keep this program on. But the law was laid on you. And law laid on you only develops guilt in you. And guilt, of course, is the end of the law. But the second grievous error in such a statement is that there was no faith in it. There is no faith in that statement. So Paul said in Galatians 3 that whatever is of the law is not of faith. Well, you never added it up quite like that, did you? Whatever is law is not of faith. So let's paraphrase it. Whatever you do, whatever you have to do to be something of self 
or for God is not of faith. That's bad, isn't it? You don't add up what you do in life like that. But you see, that roots deep in you. And you don't know any other way how to live. Because that's all religion has ever given us. But that's not really the most devastating thing about it. The scripture is destined to say in another place that whatever is not of faith is what? Sin. Ah. Do we practice sinning? Sure we do. We practice sinning because there is a thing deep in us that keeps us from faith. If I say to you, folk, if you don't come out to this meeting when I'm here, I'm going to have to stop coming. Now, that could very likely happen at some point, you understand. I've just told them this is about our 51st trip, so we've done pretty good. And I never thought I could continue the first five. You know, I didn't have any faith. I'm here on the faithfulness of the Son of God. But if I said, this meeting is going to discontinue if you don't come and give, then what have I done? I put a law on you. And that's an actual truth. If you don't do it, I won't. But I don't say that. What do I say? I say, I come by the faithfulness of the Son of God. And when he ceases not to support it, fine with me. I'm hurt a little. All steps of faith hurt a little, you know. But I move on, and so will you. But we don't keep tapping that deep root of the law in us. Sooner or later, we get free from it. Sooner or later, we move into a relationship with God that is not based on what we do, but what he's done. It's not based on who we are, but who he is. So when I hear people talk about what we ought to do and how we ought to straighten out problems and how the church ought to do this and do that and how we ought to lay the law down, there's one very glaring thing about it. It's not a faith. So what is it that Paul is really aiming at, particularly in the book of Galatians? He's telling us that if you have another in you, your faith should be in him. Now, none of us are raised that way, so it's very difficult to come to it. We are all raised with the religious idea that Christ is over here somewhere, and if you get right with God, Christ will come and help you. And that's where we're tricked by Satan into law living, because there's a guff. There's a guff. The guff is like this. Here's the believer, and here's Christ. And what religion says is, we've got to do something to get together with him. See? Well, I can't say there's something you've got to do to get together with Christ unless I lay down some law. Because there's no way I can get you to an outer Christ. First place, he doesn't exist. So what have I done by laying down a law? There is no outer Christ. The only Christ there is is the one that's in human beings. Jesus of Nazareth no longer exists. So the only Christ there is, is the Christ into whom we've been placed by the Holy Spirit and the one that lives in us. There's only Jesus there is. So to get you to an outer Christ, I must lay down a law. 
Well, when I have done that, when I have laid down the law to you that you must do something, because I'm a, I'm a real experienced person at laying down the law. I didn't pastor 25 years for nothing. I learned the law. Folks, be here next Sunday or you won't get, you'll miss a big blessing. Folks, be faithful with your money or God won't bless you. What do I do when I try to get people in contact with an outer Christ? I lay down a law, but most of all, I nullify their faith. I've destroyed their faith. Now, when I destroy their faith, what have I done? I have fixed the human being so that he is obligated by sense knowledge, by third dimension knowledge, time, space, and matter, knowledge of good and evil, illicit tree, that knowledge. I have forced them to go to that knowledge to serve God. I forced them to. I forced them to go to a knowledge that said you better be good and you better not be evil or you won't get Christ. You won't get to him. You won't have Jesus. So I destroyed their faith. Where should their faith be? Their faith is not in a Christ outside of them. shouldn't be. The faith should be in the Christ that is in them. Because if they've been born again, Christ is in this believer. Consequently, there is no Christ outside of the believer. The only Jesus there is is the Christ in you. Well, you see, that takes a deep orientation to your understanding of God. Because you've got a lot of scriptures you have to balance. First thing I had to wrestle with in the faith ministry where I was laying hands on a lot of people, which was a contact, which I think we were taught that's bringing Christ to you. I had to wrestle with that. The laying on of hands was a contact for people by me to come to Christ. Well, I had to obliterate that. I had to destroy that in my own thinking because I was denying that person of the Christ that was within. The actual healing is within them because Christ is in them. There's no Jesus that's going to walk down the aisle of a church or, or meet you at your bedside. There's no such thing as a Christ like that, but we have built that up by third dimension knowledge. Well, the end result was ministry had become a means to get a believer who, in whom Christ lived to a Christ outside of them, which didn't exist. Ah, but you see, there were a lot of people blessed. A lot of people are blessed by reaching out for Christ. Certainly. That's a word we don't speak of much in faith. That's a word called grace the grace of God. Anybody that preaches scripture is going to bless somebody. Regardless of who they are, they're going to be blessed. I ran across a little booklet the other day of the Jehovah Witnesses, and it was a healing booklet filled with testimonies of people who had been miraculously healed by the Jehovah Witness message. Well, you don't think that way about Jehovah's Witnesses, do you? You wouldn't think they could get a miracle from God, believe in what they believe, but they do. So that was outer. Had nothing to do with who they were in Christ and didn't acknowledge Christ in them at all. In fact, they don't even acknowledge Christ of Calvary. But they all had miracles of healing. 
So we have to face that issue that the healer is in you, Christ is in you. If you could tap the resource of that living water coming out of your innermost being, it would flow out carrying pollution, hurt, pain. It's a whole new world. But we don't know Jesus in us. So that's what we're learning. The problem of getting to know the Christ that is in us is this thing I call the deep root of the law. We've talked about it so many times. For many of you, this is your church. Beautiful. I've looked over congregations of hundreds and thousands at our place, and I've never seen a more beautiful group than this sitting here. See, this is church. This is his church. This is his body. We're not the church. We're not the body, but we are his because they're meeting all over this town today. But this is church to me. And we have gathered here in the name of the Lord for the whole purpose of coming to know him. The Jesus you need to know is the Christ that is in you. Obviously, since you're made differently from anybody else, you won't get to know Christ in you except by the help of the Holy Spirit. While this is a beautiful church, you cannot be stereotyped. You're everyone different. But you have the one life in you. So the Jesus you need to know is the Christ that's in you. He's the healer, the deliverer, the power, the life. There is none outside of you. So when I lay hands on a brother, I'm simply sharing my faith with him. I cannot bring him in touch with Christ. Because Christ is in him may not be a release of healing. Because that's still in the control of the Father who deals with the sons. The one son. Well, how did we get this thing I call the deep root of the law? We will need to review for just a moment uh, what has happened to us in, in the plan of God, going back to Adam. Whenever Adam was created, I believe he was a tripartite being. God gave him a body out of the dirt of the ground, shaped him in his likeness and image, outer form. He breathed into him a breath of life and gave him a soul or a mind, as Paul would like to put it, I think. But when God created Adam, and this is Brother Adam here, he didn't create a spirit within him. I personally believe he had a void in spirit. If we were to take Paul's message that there's body, soul, and spirit, then I must believe at this elementary point of the creation of Adam that he had no spirit in him. Two or three reasons for this. First reason is God can create a breath and give him a soul. God breathed into him the breath of life, and he became a living soul. God can create a body 
out of the dirt of the ground. He shaped a human body, which I think is is uh, likened under the way God would look if we took the scripture literally in his likeness and image. But what cannot be created is spirit. You can't create spirit. You can't create life. We have an idea that life is something God gave us. But life can't be created. The only way you get life is from a person. A person must give a part of themselves. So when God created Adam, he had a void in spirit because spirit and life can only come from a father. It must be a part of self given. Well, the whole plan of God hinged on Adam making a choice. You know how many times we've gone through the issue of choice. Why is it that choice was such an issue in creation? Because what God really wanted was love. Bear in mind that the whole of the plan of God hinged on reciprocating love. Reciprocating. I wish everybody understood reciprocating like I think Waylon understands it because he works with motors. Reciprocating is like the piston in your car. It goes back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. That's what God wanted in love. He wanted his love bestowed upon a creature and returned to him in the same vein. Now, what he didn't want was to wait on that creature to come up with the creature's kind of love. Uh, I don't know what happened to God before the creation of our world, but I rather imagine he had creatures a lot like Lucifer in his house who said, oh, God, we love you. Give me more. Lord, I really thank you for what you've given me. You've given me authority over all things. I really do love you. That's a different kind of love. In fact, that's the kind of love that's generated by law. When we are blessed by the keeping of a law, we say, oh, God, I thank you for honoring what you did. You honored my faith. You honored my prayer. You did just exactly what I needed. That's a kind of love, but it's not reciprocating. It's not God kind of love. So God already knew that he could create a creature who would appreciate him. Who wouldn't? Lucifer must have appreciated him. He was dumb if he didn't. He got everything. Uh, as Ezekiel says, he was like the king of Salem. He came behind in no precious stone, no thing of value. And besides that, he ruled all that God, was over all God had. Sure, he must have liked him, loved him, but it was an outer thing. So when God created Adam, he had in mind this issue of love. of love simply was I want somebody to love me for who I am not for what I do 
you see how grievous the law is? The law finally pushes us into a place where we love God for what he does. And so it's, 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 it's really unknown, particularly among people who are, who are bent on getting things from God, to ever come to a place to where they love God for who he is. That's the plight of mankind. A rich, a rich woman wants to make sure that the man she marries is not after her money and vice versa because they want to be loved for themselves. And really we're all like that at a point. What we do, what our capabilities are, our talents really don't matter so much as us loving God because of who the person is. Now, that's all God ever wanted. Now, he could have made creatures to do that. He could have cloned them, just like himself. He could have stamped them out like a cookie cutter. He could have cloned creatures. But if he had done that, it wouldn't have been pure love, even though it, he could have put his love in them. He wanted them by mind to make a choice. I choose to love God. So there is a pureness to love that goes beyond God's creation. It's a thing God made in the mind of the creature that ultimately and finally I love God because of who he is. If he never blesses me, if I never get a miracle, if I never get an answer to prayer, if I never get a healing, I've fallen in love with God. Now you may die. I mean, you may not get every blessing you want, but that's all God ever wanted out of a creature was reciprocating love for himself. What do we mean by reciprocating? Because that's the kind of love he bestowed upon us. For God so loved the sinner who was hell-bound that he took his most priceless possession and killed him that that sinner would not have to go to hell. That's all God ever wanted to return back to himself. Well... It's obvious now, if he creates a creature, he can't clone them, he can't force that love on them, but he must love that creature, and that creature must return that love to him by choice. So you never have love, and you never commit love, the act of love, without making a choice. Always remember that. If you make that act of love, as thanksgiving, as gratitude, appreciate what you did for me, it's not the same. See, uh, this brother, thankful Doug's sitting here because I didn't hit him. This brother can do things for me, bestow blessings upon me, and I love him for it. But that's not what he needs, and that's not God love in me. If he never did a thing for me, if he never blessed me, I love Doug for being Doug. I love my wife the same way, not by what she does or doesn't do, but the love of God in me loves her. Now that's what God wanted. How is he going to get that? How will he get his kind of love in the creature? Well, it's obvious he can't create it. If he creates it, he's cloned it. So Adam 
cannot have a spirit created within him. I say again, spirit comes from the person. Remember, there are three terms we use in the Christ life. The term life, spirit, and nature are all the same because all three of them are Christ. That's Christ in us. How is he going to do this? Well, to get a God love in us, God must be in us, working out of us. So Adam can't have that yet. He cannot have God love operating in him by a gift, by a force, or by creation. It has to come spontaneously out of love. So when he is created, there's a void in spirit. Now how will that be filled? That's going to be filled by the issue of the mind. He's going to make a decision. As we've studied before here in Institute, Adam, uh, if he lived to be 900 and something years of age, had to be created old enough to make the greatest decision that had ever been made for human beings. In other words, he wasn't a child, a little kid with that kind of a mind. How did God create him? What kind of a mind did he put in him? What did Adam know in creation? Uh, was he created to be 50 years old? They live much longer than we do now. Was I think it was at least 150, 200 years old uh, in creation, in God's creation. Because he had to be wise enough and had to be able to handle this tremendous decision that was to be made. For the whole plan of God hinged on this decision. So when he created Adam, he created him wise enough and old enough to be able to make that decision. And for you uh, scriptorians, uh, if we knew how old Adam was when God created him, we could add that to his 900 and something years and he would be the oldest man to ever live. Because surely he'd be older than Methuselah at that point. Uh, that doesn't mean a whole lot, but I just thought, <laughs> I, thought I'd throw it in. So he had to be created to make a decision, a great decision, because his decision is what has affected your life more than any other one thing that's ever been done for you. Well, now, I got a real interest in what he's going to do. Because he's my forefather, and I was birthed of his loins physically, and so that's going to have a lot to do with the decisions in my life. So what God did, he left this void there. But then God set into operation what is next important in his plan. The next important thing is this thing we call contrast. God must create a contrast in order for there to be a choice. So the aspect of love grows this way. You, make, you have a contrast, you make a choice, and that's how you commit an act of love. It's like a young fellow who falls in love. He really needs some contrast before he settles down to the last gal he's going to love and marry. What is contrast? Well, he needs to know some other girls. <clears throat> he needs to go with them. He needs to have some experience in life, and ordinarily they get it. And usually there's a very tedious moment that comes when he makes that final choice. Well, I'm going to take her. This is it. I'm going to settle down to her. What has he had? He had contrast that has produced the choice. The choice is what finally produces love. Now, this is what God must do with this creature, Adam. So, the next thing he does in the creation in the garden, he plants this tree, this forbidden tree. 
the tree of knowledge of good and evil. That's one side of the contrast. On the other side, God comes down and he talks with Adam every day in the cool of the garden. Can you imagine a statement like that? you have any idea why Moses would get a word like that? When Almighty God has created the whole thing, he's created heat in the garden. To show you that God is very personable and has his own personality, he says, you guys got to live in that, but I'll only come down in the cool of the day to talk to you. That's interesting to know. So uh, that's been our excuse for having air conditioning in Texas. <laughs> because not even God likes the heat of the day. <laughs> well, I don't know about all that either. But we have God coming down and talking to Adam and giving him his word. The word. What is the word? Well, we could say the word's a lot of things, but the word is God knowledge going into this man. So he was getting input from God on how to run the world. You know, of course, that man got the ability to operate this world from God before the fall. Genesis 1 and 26. He got the ability to operate the world, but when he chose the other knowledge and rejected God knowledge, man has never been able to run this world. Now that ought to be good news to you because don't look for any politician or preacher that's going to straighten it out. Because the human being in the beginning chose the wrong knowledge operates this world and it never has worked you surely must see that if you didn't see that in the last presidential election you're almost blind because I think all of us came to the conclusion then that nobody's going to be able to do a whole lot whoever we put in you know there was kind of a, that feeling all over America that this sort of a hopeless thing well I listen to preachers and I get the same feeling we got preachers going to straighten out the world a kingdom's going to be established we're going to grow into a, a lovely place here on this earth we're going to put our foot on the devil's neck uh, not with the knowledge they got not with the knowledge of good and evil because the knowledge that says you be good and you stop being evil is law and it won't work we'll stop here and we'll pick up next time we've been listening to part one of the deep root of the law series from warren litzman boy it's so interesting, isn't it? We hope you've enjoyed it. Don't forget to go to our website, christ-life.org, christ-life.org. Go to the bookstore. First, read about it. Read all about us and what we're involved with, what we're about. But then go to the bookstore because there you can find these wonderful things that Warren has left behind, his wonderful books, his videos, his audio teachings, you can have these things right in your home, and they are priceless. We want to thank Robbie Litzman for allowing us to go into the archives each week. Valerie Hill, thank you for doing our Twitter account. Tammy Laycock, thank you for doing our weekly podcast notes. And this program is produced weekly. And a big thank you to Teresa Ferraro from the Christ Life Fellowship. Until next time, I'm Brad Wilson, loving the Christ Life. 